You know, I've got to, I'm, I'm going to begin a sermon series this morning called uh, First Things. And really when I planned this series, it, it really had to, to do with the fact that every year we begin to start a new year and it's important to put first things first. You know, my mom, when I was growing up, I remember she'd say, son, you got to get first things first, right? You got to get first things first. And so I was planning messages around, uh, you know, setting ourselves apart to God, prayer and fasting, worship, different things that where we, where we put God first in our lives. And as I'm praying and as I'm dealing with this, uh, the Lord starts to deal with my own heart about things that, that not just that I've went through, but things that I've watched other people go through in the year of 2020. And the Lord sort of spoke to me like this. He said, Clay, if you're going to put first things first, he said, in order to move forward, you're going to have to learn how to grieve properly what you've lost in your past. He said, so many people get hung up because they, 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 they have a struggle moving forward because they think first things are just burying the past and moving on into the future. And he said, you can't bury the past. You've got to make sure that you're grieving properly in order to grieve your losses in your past so that you can move forward. And I know that sounds heavy right out of the gate, but I believe that the Lord is going to give us a grace to really minister to our hearts this morning. Can you believe with me for that? And so I, so I want you to just be, uh, to, to bear with me because this message is, is going to be, this ain't going to be no hype in this message. I'm not going to get probably too awful pumped up or anything, but we're just going to go through this real uh, systematically and open up this message. But this is... This message that I have, it's, it's called Grieving Forward, Grieving Forward. And so here's what I want to do before we begin. I want us to just pray together and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But Father, we come to you in your presence in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, you know every one of us in, in great detail. You know what we're dealing with. You know our struggles. Uh, God, you know everything that we're going through. And this morning, we just pray that you would anoint your word by the power of your Holy Spirit, and you would allow it, to, allow it to bring transformation into our hearts and into our lives. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus, and amen. Amen. So, you know, whenever we're, whenever we're battling things, I don't, I, we, 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 want, we pray for miracles, right? We, we want to see God do amazing things. Anybody else want to see God do amazing things? I want to see God break through. I want to see God move. I want to see God heal people. I want to see God deliver people. And I do, I have seen those things, and I continue to see God do those things. And, and here's the reality. When you're talking about theology, right? Now, theology is really just the study of God. It's what we believe about God. A guy named R.C. Sproul, he wrote a book called Everybody's a Theologian. And what he means by that is a lot of times, especially in southeastern Kentucky, people say, well, we don't need theology. The point is, is that if you think about God in any way, you're already doing theology. That's what theology is. It's thinking about God. It's God logic. It's, it's how we process how we see God, how we view God, what we believe about God. And so here's, here's, here's really what I've learned over the course of my life is that, is that people have a theology of power and they have a theology of pain and suffering. And here's the thing, we need a theology of power. And what that means is we need to believe as the church of Jesus Christ that God is on the throne, that Jesus Christ is at His right hand seated above all principality and power and might and dominion and that He has all authority and power and He is healer. He controls all things. He is powerful. And listen, He is able to save. He's able to deliver. And here's what I believe. I believe that when Jesus came the first time on this earth that He brought His kingdom with Him. 
And when He brought His kingdom with Him, that's the reason that you see the dead raised. You saw the sick healed. You see all of these things because He brought the kingdom right there in their midst. And in the kingdom of God, there is no disease. There is no sickness. But here's the issue is that when Jesus came the first time, He brought the kingdom with Him, but He only brought it in measure. He did not yet bring it in its fullness. And so we're in this in-between stage of we're believing God's, for God's kingdom to come. We're praying for God's kingdom to come. And we see it come through in measure. And sometimes we see people get healed. Sometimes we see people get delivered. Sometimes we see lives radically transformed. And as Christian people, we are to pray and to believe for that. But if you look at the church as a whole today, there are certain churches, and I'm just going to discuss with you a little bit. There are certain churches, and if I'm being honest about it, sometimes I err on this side where I have a theology of power to an error. And what that means is, is that I'm always believing for miracles. I think everybody should get healed. I think everybody should get delivered. And sometimes I get so caught up in my theology of power that I don't have a theology of pain and suffering. And I just think everything should be all right and God should heal everything. And here's the problem, though, is that when you begin to only have a theology of power, you're going to pray for people, you're going to believe God for miracles, you're going to believe God for amazing things. And when they don't happen, if you don't have a theology of pain and suffering, you will give up praying for people and believing for miracles. You start saying, what's the point? We prayed, it didn't happen, nothing worked, and you will lay it down because you don't know how to grieve and go through pain and suffering pro uh, properly. And God is saying, you've got to have both. You've got to have a theology of power, and you've got to have a theology of pain and suffering. Now, see, on the other hand, there are many churches, and like I said, you got, on the one hand, you've got churches that are they're all theology of power. It's like if you don't get healed, somehow or another you ain't got faith. And can I tell you there's something wrong with that? Amen? There's something wrong with that. That's not, that's, that's not how God is revealed in Scripture. But on the other hand, you have churches who only have a theology of pain and suffering. And man, they'll cry with you while terrible things are going on. And then whenever people are sick, they're not going to pray for healing necessarily. They're just going to pray that you can embrace the pain and suffering that you're dealing with because they don't necessarily believe that God can break through in the here and now. And I think it's important that if we're going to move forward biblically, that we have got to believe that God still breaks in in the here and now to perform miracles, to heal people, to set people free. He still does those things. But here's the thing, when He doesn't, We've got to come to a place where we can still trust God, know that He's good, and know that ultimate healing is in the future, right? We're rooted and grounded there. But then we can move into a theology of pain and suffering where we can learn how to grieve our losses, grieve our pains, so that when we go through them, we're not bitter on the other side, but we can come out stronger and say, God, I'm still believing you for miracles. Somebody amen me, right? It's, a very, it's so important that we learn to balance these things because the kingdom of God is here, but it's not here yet in its fullness. And we need a theology of power and we need a theology of pain and suffering. 2 Corinthians 1.3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And here's the thing, so many, and I, I shared this just recently. I usually don't make Facebook posts, but my heart was so moved I had to have some kind of an expression. 
And you know, I'm so introverted that I don't even like to put anything on Facebook because I don't even like people to know I'm alive, to be honest with you. It just, I just feel better about it. But, but I did that as just an expression of what I was feeling, what I was sensing for people. And I put this scripture out and the Lord began to deal with me because here's the thing. You know, when I preached a message one time called, Where is God in Evil, Suffering, and Hurricanes? And if you go back and look at all of our messages and how many listens and how many downloads they get, that sermon alone pretty much tripled every other sermon that we ever put out. Because why? Because people are dealing with evil. They're dealing with suffering. They're dealing with natural catastrophes. And they're wondering, where is God in all this? Where is God in the pain? Where is God in the suffering? And there, there was a statement made once that really stuck with me. But here's the thing. And the truth is, I can come up with answers. If you ask me why things happen, I could go back to the Bible and start from Genesis when they were in the garden of how sin and pain is entered in and all of these things have taken place. But when you're going through suffering, guess what? My theological answers don't mean much, do they? It doesn't heal a thing. It doesn't change a thing. Maybe down the road it can prepare you, but when you're dealing with pain and you're dealing with suffering, answers are quite inadequate. And the only thing that we can ground ourselves in is understanding that God is the God of comfort. He's the God of comfort and He's the Father of all compassion. And see, we may not have all the answers for the pain and suffering in the world, but what we have is a God who has demonstrated to us that He is not distant from our pain. As a matter of fact, he saw us in our pain, in our suffering, and in our loss, and was so engaged in it that he sent his son into the midst of our pain. And on the cross, what you have is not a God who is distant from your pain, but a God who has entered into your pain. He's feeling exactly what you feel. He's not distant. He knows what you feel. He entered into it. He didn't say, I'm going to stay away from that. You just got to deal with that. And I don't care about what you're going through. No, God cares about what you're going through. But see, when the pain comes, the devil is there to say, where is God at in all this? Where's God at in all this? And what the father would say is right there I am on the cross, feeling exactly what you're feeling weeping with you, mourning with you, but know that the cross and your pain and your suffering, the same way my cross and my pain and my suffering is not the end. There is resurrection life on the other end. But see, in this life, we've got to understand, we've got to look forward to the hope of resurrection life. But while we're here, we have to learn how to receive compassion from God. Compassion literally means, it's from two Latin words, it means to suffer with. God chooses to suffer with us. And we choose to suffer with one another when we're suffering. But it says he's the father of compassion and he's the God of all comfort. And when we receive God's comfort, we're able also to comfort those who are going through the similar things that we're going through. But see, Jesus gives us a key about comfort, about how to receive comfort during hard times. And here's what I want to say is that we must grieve the painful losses of the past seasons of our life before we can effectively embrace the present and the future. See, a key to your spiritual formation, your growth as a Christian, is that when you deal with loss, you have to learn how to grieve it properly so that you don't get stuck in your past. So many people go through pain and suffering and various losses that they actually get stuck in the pain of their past and they do not embrace their life here in the present and ultimately their life in the future. And they remain stuck in that place. And see, it's a key. Now, here's what, here's what to grieve or mourn means. Here's the definition for to grieve or mourn. Literally, it just means to express sorrow. But let me, let me give you my added definition to it with what limited experience I have as a 33-year-old pastor. I mean, it's funny that y'all are even in here listening to me, honestly. To bring what is on the inside out to the surface. Okay, that, That's what to grieve or mourn means. That there's something locked up on the inside of you. 
And if you grieve and if you mourn, what you're doing is you're finding those things hidden and pressed down in the deep recesses of your soul. And you're pushing them and bringing them out to the surface. That's what it means to grieve or mourn. And you say, well, why is that important, Clay? Isn't it better if we just all shove that stuff down and just move on and act like we're happy? Isn't that a better witness to the world if we just look happy on the outside and take care of things like that? Well, see, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 4. He gives you a key to the comfort that you need to receive. He says, blessed are those who mourn mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are those who mourn that's that's a strange thing surely we would say blessed are those who who can rejoice and do a joy spin on sunday morning you know what i'm talking about like that's that's what we that's what we hope for that's what we think but he says blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted what he's saying is blessed are those who can take the pain that is boiling up on the inside of them and bring it out side onto the surface and let Jesus deal with it so that they can be healed and so that they can be they can be comforted and they can move forward and so when you start talking about this stuff as I'm dealing with this message I'm like Lord I don't know that I've ever even heard somebody preach a message on grief personally I don't know that anybody's ever done it and and then I'm thinking about dudes because you know I spend a lot of time counseling people that are struggling with addictions and I've spent a lot of time counseling people uh, that that a lot of women and a lot of men too And I can tell you one thing, men are different than women. Did anybody know that? I know they're trying to do away with gender, but trust me, it ain't going to (laughs) work. There's still going to be men and there's still going to be women, and they will be different. They just are. And women process things differently. Men process things quite a bit differently. And when you start talking about grieving to men, son, they just shut down. They're like, I ain't going to cry. Anybody have a hard time crying? They have a hard time processing feelings. And when you bring stuff up, they're just like, no, nah, I'm good. I ain't going to try to deal with that. But see, God taught me this. I remember when I first, I got, I got saved when I was about 20 years old. And probably a year after I got saved, the Lord was really dealing with me about some things. And I thought, man, I, by that time I was holy. You know what I'm talking about? Like I had already been totally purified and good. That's a joke, of course. But I was getting better, right? God was doing something in my life. And, but what I came to the realization of is I was in prayer and God started bringing things up from my childhood, started bringing things up from my past, and he basically said to me and revealed to me in prayer, Clay, if you don't bring this stuff up that you've buried even from the time you were a little boy and let me heal you from it and and you learn to process that and grieve that, then you'll never be able to move forward and you will never be able to minister to people the way that I want you to. And so he, so he started to bring these. I remember praying and things coming into my mind about my past and about things that I'd gone through. And really, you could look at them. I could look at them and say, well, those aren't even that big of a deal. That's not even that big of a deal. Because we get so good at suppressing things and saying, that didn't even hurt me none. I'm good. I'm over that. But really, what you've done is you've just numbed yourself. And he began to bring that to the surface and start to work with me about grieving those losses so that I could move forward. Let me tell you this. Let me give you a little pro tip uh, for you men out there. Men tend to be fixers. And this is something that I've learned in my brief few years of marriage. And it's funny, y'all are listening to me again, right? Um, But here's what I've learned is that when my wife comes to me with a struggle, man, what she doesn't really want me to do is fix it. Anybody amen me, right? And I'm like, well, we can get this thing fixed. Let's take care of this. What she really wants is she's saying, I'm struggling with something right now. I've got feelings on the inside, and I need to get them out on the surface, and I need you to hear me and help me process this. 
I need to be affirmed to know that I'm a good wife. I need to be affirmed to know that I'm a good mother. I, ne- I need to feel heard and I need to be able to process this without you telling me I'm wrong or without you telling me that you shouldn't think that way. This is the way I'm thinking. This is what I'm dealing with. I see some smiles right now, praise God. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? So we got to learn to process these things. But see, men tend to be fixers. And really the primary goal is never to fix things. When you're counseling people or you're dealing with relationships in marriage, your goal is not to fix stuff. Your goal is to help one another get what's on the inside out to the surface so that you can process it and invite Jesus in to heal it. I'm telling you, that right there will revolutionize your life. So many people carry baggage year after year after year after year. And it, often in church settings, it's small things. Little aggravations, little, little up, upsets, little things that people bother. And you just bury it and you try to say, well, I ain't supposed to be mad at that. I tell some of my guys, some of my leaders, if you get offended at me, I don't care if it's the dumbest thing that has ever happened. And you think, Clay will think I'm an idiot. Tell me so that we can process it. Because the last thing I want is for you to be bitter and go on year after year after year so that one time all I got to do is say one thing out of the way to you and you just blow up and quit. I can't, I can't afford to have that. But we're human beings, aren't we? And, and so we've got to learn how to process and work through these things. But here's the thing. There are multiple ways to grieve, aren't there? You can grieve with tears. You can grieve with music. You can grieve with journaling. Andrea was telling me, you know, recently she's got a journal and when she's, when she's dealing with stuff, she will literally write out everything that she's feeling and when she writes out what she's feeling on paper she can see it and she sees the lies that are tied into it then she can invite Jesus into it but see here's what happens if you just keep that bottled up and you never process it you never bring it out onto paper or you never voice it it just stays in there boiling up bothering you itching you burdening you causing depression and there's certain times in our lives where even if it is irrational thoughts you've got to put it on paper you've got to bring it to the surface now for me what I, what I would always do I would start to sense y'all ever sense a build up in your life it's just like man I don't know how much more I can take right now anybody ever been there somebody's been there For me, my thing was, I don't like to cry, especially publicly. It's always real weird. I don't know. I've done it a couple of times. I don't enjoy it. But for me, when things are building up, God has taught me to go into prayer. And in prayer, he meets me there. And he asks me to pour my heart out. And I, can't, and I find myself breaking down and weeping. And sometimes over the smallest things, like if somebody walked into the room, they'd be like, my God, what's happened to Clay? And it, but but I'm, I'm releasing all this buildup. It can be insecurities. It can be just, just struggles that I've been having recently. But I start to pour that out to God and I start to grieve. And God begins to bring me comfort. He begins to bring me healing. So let me, let me ask a, a few questions about grief. I'm going to ask about five questions about grief. Number one, what brings the need for grief? And let me just give you the quick answer. What brings the need for you to grieve? And again, if we as Christian people think that grieving is not an important part of spiritual growth, we've missed the mark. We misunderstand the entirety of Scripture. I mean, there, is, there are psalms written, a book called Lamentations. You know what lamentation means? It means literally to grieve. The guy is grieving over what's taking place because he's trying to figure out how to process what he's dealing with with his people and the pain that they're going through. But what brings about the need for grief is loss. And let me say it to you like this. When we think about grief, we usually always think about death. But I'm telling you, death is not the only loss that we experience, is it? There's a guy named Henry Now, and I saw a lot of people are, are reading books. But if you get, buy you some books by Henry Now, and they're about this big, they're very short, the dude is brilliant, and, and, and they will help you. 
But he said this. He said, if there's any word that summarizes well our pain, it is the word loss. We have lost so much. Sometimes it seems as if life is just one long series of losses. Has anybody ever felt that way? When we were born, we lost the safety of the womb. When we went to school, we lost the security of our family life. When we got our first job, we lost the freedom of our youth. And when we got married or ordained, we lost the joy of many options. You know, I've counseled people in marriage counseling before and counseled men that are getting ready to get married and they're happy about getting married, but at the same time they say, man, I don't know why, but I'm sad. And one person that I counseled one time talked about how what he, was, he was grieving the loss of many options. Somebody amen me. Nobody wants to be honest about that. He was grieving. The, but here's the thing. If you don't, if you're getting ready to get married and you don't grieve the loss of many options, you can't move forward with the spouse that you've chosen. Because when you choose to get married, guess what? You have chosen somebody for your life. A covenant. And you have to grieve that process. When I remember, listen, and I'm just going to be open and transparent this morning. But when I took the, on this pastor, when me and Donald started working through this transition together, I was grieving, to be honest with you, because I was so afraid of locking into the pastor of City of Hope Church. Can I be honest this morning? Because when you begin a career or when you begin something and you, and you get locked into it, you're grieving the loss of many other options. But here's the thing. I, try, I looked at other jobs. I, I applied for a job and they offered it to me. I, I looked at another job that was offered to me and they looked good on the outside. But when I prayed, God said, no, son, this is where I have you. This is what I want you to do. You can grieve that, but this is what I'm calling you to. And what I did was I grieved it. I said, I ain't got no more options, God. I only have the option of doing what you called me to do. You called me to Mary Andrea. You called me to Pastor City of Hope Church. I'm getting rid of all of it so that I can move forward in joy. Amen. I'm telling you, this right here is going to help you in your life if you will receive this. So when you get a new job, when you go to school, as you go to college, you're, you are grieving the loss of what was in your past and you have to learn how to do that and not bury it. And here's what he says. He says, and when we grow old, we lost our good looks. Anybody amen me on that, right? Our old friends, our fame. When we became weak or ill, we lost our physical independence. And when we die, we lose it all. And these losses are part of the ordinary life. But whose life is ordinary? The losses that settle themselves deeply in our hearts and minds are the loss of intimacy through separations. This happens, we, we deal with divorce. We, we, we deal with separations, relationships, people move. The loss of safety through violence. The loss of innocence through abuse. Listen, almost every person, I won't say every person, but 90% of the people that I've counseled who are deeply addicted, especially women, almost 90% of them, they, have, they suffer from the loss of innocence through abuse, sexual abuse, early sexualization. They deal with those things. And when we start to talk about addiction, we throw addiction out the window because addiction is not their problem. Their wounds and their pains and their struggles from their past that they've never learned how to process and they've never learned how to allow God to heal is what is leading them to the addiction because they need something to numb what is buried in the, underneath the surface. That's the, the root of most addiction that you see in the world. And so he ends up saying the loss of friends through betrayal the loss of love through abandonment, the loss of home through war, the loss of well-being through hunger, heat, and cold, the loss of children through illness or accidents, the loss of country through political upheaval. 
and the loss of life through earthquakes, floods, plane crashes, bombings, and diseases. We've dealt with stuff like that this year. Perhaps many of these dark losses are far away from us. Maybe they belong to the world of newspapers and television screens, but nobody can escape the agonizing losses that are part of our everyday existence, the loss of our dreams. The loss of our dreams. Every one of us, we started with dreams, things that we thought we could get into and do, and they didn't take place, and we grieved those losses. The bottom line is that nobody gets out of life without loss. Would you agree with that? Yes, you would. Everybody in here has lost something. You've lost something, and if you don't learn how to grieve and mourn, you're going to struggle in life because this world is broken. Jesus brought his kingdom, and we're seeing his kingdom break through in the here and now, and we pray for his kingdom to break through in the here and now. We seek for people to be healed, for people to be delivered, for people to be saved. But, man, while we're battling these things, we've got to learn to grieve. We've got to learn to mourn. We've got to learn to process this. Listen, when Andrea married me, it was by far the greatest day of her life, right? Amen? I don't know. I mean, you could ask her, but... But I remember, and this is funny because... I don't, I don't know if she'll get mad at me for sharing this, but when we first got married, I remember one night, maybe, I don't know, it was maybe just a couple, maybe the day we got married, maybe a day after. But I remember she got, you could tell she just, a heaviness came upon her. And, uh, and finally, you know, I kind of talked to her and she began to break down and cry and weep. But she, she told me, she said, you know, after we got married, we moved in the house at the time we was living in Barberville. And she looked under the TV and she saw uh, she, was, she was looking for a clock because at her home, that was where she would check the time. And when she looked under that TV and there was no clock, it hit her. I've lost, I've lost my childhood. I've lost my home. I'm moving, I'm moving into something different. And it hit her. And here's the thing. It was a good thing. See, because even when in your life you move into good things, you move into marriage or you move into a new season or you move into having children or you, you, you move in, into to anything, it can be a very good thing, but even good things, when you receive them, they entail loss on the back end. And if you don't know how, if she had not grieved that properly, she would have never been able to move forward with me into her new life. Does that make sense to you? We have to learn how to grieve those losses and move forward. Just recently, and I, I want to be careful about you know, what I say here, but at the same time, just recently, Andre and I have received the most wonderful gift you could ever imagine, that little baby girl right there, Naomi. An amazing gift from God. I mean, I was sitting there last night at about 3 a.m. just looking at that face. You know, and, 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 and I'm thinking, man, God, thank you for what a, what a gift. But do you know, even having children, especially with adoption, there's loss. There's loss that comes with that. And, you know, her, Naomi's birth mother, and I, I want to be careful with how much I share, but an amazing woman that truly prayed and decided that this was the very best thing for her daughter. And we talked to her. We got to know her. Built a relationship with her to some degree. Um, and, and, and the day that we left the hospital with baby Naomi, she cried on my shoulder as we, as we left. And I'm telling you, me and Audrey, we went back to the hotel room, and for two, three days, we had to grieve that. We had to process that, because here's the thing. God had given us a gift, and we had put so much prayer into this gift, 
And we know that she's from God. It's not even a question. Her mom even wrote us a letter saying that it was. We, we know on both ends we knew, but still it doesn't take away the pain and the loss. And if, you don't, if we had not grieved that properly, we could never have fully received and embraced the gift of parenthood and that being our daughter and moving forward and taking care of her the way that we should. You have to grieve those losses. And we grieved that. We went through I'm telling you, we, we, we wept. We cried so hard there in that hotel room. And I, I was trying to hide it at first, you know, like dudes do. I was, I was sitting with my chair turned out the window, and she's over here holding the baby. And I go, Hoo-hoo! Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, sometimes you've got to have a little comic relief just to get through. But see, when you don't, when you don't grieve well... You can't move into your future. And your, your, your past, it chains you up. It binds you. And you get locked into it, man. And I'm telling you, I know dozens of people that they end up finding freedom in Christ, but they only find freedom in Christ when they're willing to deal with the pains of their past. And that's a very hard thing to do. When you don't grieve well, your past is going to rob you of your present, and it's going to rob you of your future, and it can even rob you of your relationships in the here and now. The people that you are surrounded with that need your love, they won't experience your love because you're still too locked into the past and the pain of your past. So number two, why is grieving necessary? You're like, Clay, why, do I, why, would I, why should I have to cry and bring up my past and my pain? You mean you're going to get up here on Sunday morning when I'm trying to feel good? Because right now I'm telling you in America, if you just find a popular preacher, what they're going to talk to you about most of the time is hype. You know what I'm talking about? It's just hype. God's going to bring breakthrough. Hallelujah. And that feels good in the moment, but if it does not deal with your garbage from the past, you ain't going to find no breakthrough. Nobody amen me on that one. That's when I got to get those, I got to start putting people in the seats. At this point, you need to shout. Amen. Why is grieving necessary and what happens if we don't grieve? A, we deaden our hearts. We deaden our hearts. And what that means is, is if, if you don't take time to grieve, you will deaden your heart and you will stop to hope for so much. When you experience loss, when you experience pain, you start to shut yourself off emotionally. You start to deaden your heart's heart because when you feel something, it hurts so bad that you say, I don't want to process this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to go through this. And you will stop to hope for so much. You'll begin to say things like this. I've heard people say it. What's the point? I tried the whole Jesus thing and it didn't work. We prayed for miracles and nothing happened. What is the point in, in dealing with these things? And you will stop hoping in order to keep yourself from hurting so much, and you will deaden, deaden your longings and your dreams. Let me tell you something. When I first was called into ministry, I had dreams, son. I could sit down and tell you just of all the grand things that God was going to do. And then I had a few church meetings, you know what I'm saying, with deacons and elders and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, my dreams were flushed down the toilet. And, and, people, and people said bad things about me. And people hurt me. And people quit me. And people betrayed me. And, and, and I dealt with people who, who left me when I had hope for this was going to happen. And it didn't happen. And then when it didn't happen, I started slowly de deadening myself to say, well, I don't even need to. I got pet. Like Don one of the things Donald and I had to work through is Donald had, had to work with me about, about just being negative. Anybody, somebody, pastor's negative, boys. Yeah. How, how good a pastor are you going to be if you're the most negative person in the room? Y'all shouldn't hope for much. Ain't no good going to happen. Donald's like, Clay, my Lord, I mean, <laughs> what's happened to you, brother? We had to process some of that stuff. We had to talk through some of that stuff so that I could hope again, so that I could believe that God's going to do something. God's going to do something right here 
in Clay County. He's going to do something in this ministry. He's, it's, it's not going to be like other things. But you've got to ask yourself, are you grieving your disappointments? Are you grieving your disappointments? Because I promise you this, nobody's going to get the life that they want perfectly. Nobody's going to get the exact job that they want. Nobody's going to get the exact family they want. They're not always going to get pregnant when they want to. You're not going to get everything that you want. You're going to be disappointed. And when you get disappointed, can you grieve it properly so that you can still move forward in hope and say, God's still good. God's still going to do good things in my life. And He's going to do something amazing in my life and believe. But see, we deaden our hearts or we compartmentalize our lives. And so what we do is everything... This is what Christians do. Everything's okay on the surface, but we set the hard times over in a corner somewhere. We don't want to bring that up. And nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to deal with those issues. So another guy said this, Brent Curtis. He said, instead of dealing with our arrows, and the arrows he's talking about are the lies that attach themselves to our loss and, our loss and disappointments. So he says, instead of dealing with these lies that attach themselves to our loss and disappointments, these arrows in our heart... He said, we silence the longing. That seems to be our only hope, and so we lose heart. He asked the question, how many losses can a heart take? And here's what I want to suggest to you, that if we will embrace biblical grieving, there is no heart and no wound that Jesus cannot heal. No matter who you've lost, no matter what pain you've suffered, Jesus can heal every wound. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He sent me to preach good news to the afflicted and to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus will heal your broken heart if you will allow Him to bring the wounds on the inside out to the surface. How many losses can a heart take? It can take an infinite amount of losses because He has an infinite amount of love and healing. It's whether or not we learn to process our losses. And when we're not processing them, every little thing begins to build up. Every little thing, and we say, well, nothing goes right, nothing happens well. And we start to deal, not deal with these disappointments, and we can't embrace what's going on. I remember a guy when I went down to seminary, he was, he was one of my professors. He was an older guy. And, you know, the seminary I went to, they were hardcore Pentecostals. You know what I'm talking about? But they were brilliant Pentecostals. Somebody said, well, that's an oxymoron. No, it, it was true. They were. They were smart dudes. But his, his mother was a woman who had been abused by her father sexually. And, and man, just the torment she went through when, when they tell the story is unbearable. And, and she grew up and she has this son. She gets saved when she's in her early 20s after she has, has her son at a Pentecostal church and she has an experience with God and she comes back home and God starts to deal with her about her, about her wounds, about the abuse of her past. And he, he told me this story. He said, he said, I would come home as a little boy from school and I would walk in. He said, my mom would work the night shift so she would be in her bedroom praying when I would come home. And he said, when I would come home, when she first got saved, I didn't really know what was happening, but something was happening. And he said she would be in there praying and moaning. And she said, some, he said sometimes she'd be speaking in tongues. And he said it was a horrifying sound. He said, it scared me to death. And he said, I would walk in and hear her praying in that room. And he said, I would fall down on my knees in, in the foyer before I'd go into the living room. And I'd just sit there and cry because he said, I could tell the pain that she was going through. And he said, that went on for some time. He said, I couldn't tell how long it was. He said, but one day I come in and I remember it changing. And shortly thereafter... I came in and he said, and it was the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard. It was glorious. And he said, I started to cry again just because I felt like my mommy had been, had been healed. And, and, he, and he said, I went and I opened the door and she was in there praying with a smile on her face, just singing to God. 
And, and he, said, he said, Mom, is the pain, is, is, is the wound gone now? And she said, no, son, it's not gone. She said, it's just clean. It's just clean. But what she had done is she had processed that wound and that grief and that pain and that abuse with God over the course of some time. And this woman, I'm telling you, I, I got to see her when she was about 90 years old. We were having uh, chapel services. And this woman, she could basically read anybody's message. She was so in tune to the Spirit of God that she could walk up. I remember she walked up to a young lady that nobody knew what she'd been going through. And she felt her abuse. She felt her pain. And she took her by the hand. And as soon as she did, that, little, that girl began to weep. And she began to pray her through healing and inner healing and processing that because she was in tune with the pain that she was going through. See, here's what he says. He says, if we deny the wounds or try to minimize them, we deny a part of our heart and end up living with a shallow optimism that frequently becomes a demand that the world be better than it is. Here's what he's saying. He's saying what Christians do a lot of time is they de deny their pain and they just shove it down somewhere. They don't talk about it. They don't bring it up and they just go around saying, God is good, brother. God is good all the time. It's just a shallow optimism. It's a fake Christianity. And let me tell you this, the world can spot it a hundred miles away. And they smell that it's fake. They smell that it's not real. And they, see, they say, I, I remember one time I was driving in Oneida. I used to live in Oneida. And there was this woman on a street corner. Some people said she may have been a prostitute. I don't know. It was about 1230 in the night. I had been at the church praying. And as I'm driving by this woman, my heart begins to pound out of my chest. And I sense the Holy Spirit say, won't you go talk to that woman? I said, no. And I drove on by, and it wouldn't stop pounding. My heart wouldn't. And I thought, gosh, I'd rather die than be disobedient to the Lord when he's pushing me like this. And so I pull back around, and I pull into that woman. And when she sees me pull in, I mean, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. She got up and started walking away. And I said, i got to obey the Lord. Hey! Yeah. And I'm like, if anybody gets this on camera, I'm in a bind. But I remember, I remember going up and I talking to this woman. I said, you know, I feel like maybe the Lord's leading me to talk to you. I just, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. And as I'm telling her this, her head just kind of goes down. She puts her hand on her hip. And she said, she said, boy, she said, I don't know what you've been through. And you come to me with this God that you're talking about. She said, maybe he can heal your little 20-year-old problems. But I ain't seen him try to heal none of mine. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. I tried to talk to her. She wouldn't receive anything. I got back in the vehicle. I said, Lord, why'd you send me to talk to that woman? If there wasn't nothing good going to happen, I, I, she, just, she just put a wall up. And it was like the Lord was teaching me to understand, son, you don't understand the things that people are going through. And they, they don't even have an open door for anything. And you've got to work. You've got to figure out a way to help people receive my love. You've got to figure out a way to pray and intercede for people because people are dealing with pain that you cannot fully understand. So it really wasn't for that woman so much as it was for me that God needed to get me in touch with the pain of other people and what they were going through. Does that make sense? So sometimes God may ask you to do something and you, it may not be an evangelistic miracle, right? What we expect when God moves us to do something is this woman's just going to fall down on her face and say, Jesus is Lord. And guess what? That doesn't happen a lot. But when people start to see this, when people start to see and know that you and I, we went through pain, we went through loss, and we grieved it and we processed it, but we came up out on the other end with a newfound strength and a newfound joy where we have tears and we're not ashamed of them, but at the end of the day, we know the God who heals all things and they can see that our wounds are clean. That's going to bear witness to something. And they're going to say, that God's real. There's something to that God. See, he says, on the other hand, 
If we embrace the arrows as the final word on life, we despair, which is another way to lose heart. To lose hope has the same effect on our heart as it would be to stop breathing. And so basically he's saying you're going to do one of two things. He says you're going to either deny your wounds or you're going to embrace your wounds as the final word on life, and then you're going to despair. And people do one of the two things. As Christian people, a lot of times they say, well, no, I just ain't even going to feel that pain. I'm going to move on with joy. We're going to focus on the good things of God. We're not going to face that pain. But then the other group of people receive the pain and say it's the final word on life, and they enter into depression, they enter into despair, and they stop hoping, and they don't think any good is going to come. And we can't have either one of those. So number three, why do we avoid the grieving process? It's very simple. We don't like pain. We don't want those things to come up. And when you start pressing on people's pain, they say, I don't want to talk about it. You ever did that with somebody? And even when we know people have gone through pain, this is one thing that I've learned. When I, when I used to counsel, I used to do a lot of counseling at Best Blessing and stuff like that. And, and, and they would come in to me, and, and the first thing I would do, I'd be like, I got a very limited amount of time with you. And I would start asking them, we're going to go back in your past, into your childhood, and we're going to talk about some of the most painful moments of your life, and we're going to start right there. That's where I would start because I knew that was where the main issues were. Those are where the demons are hiding, folks. That's where the bondage is, and I would get into it, and they would not want to do it, but when they would, freedom would come. When they would, when they would process it, when they would grieve, when they would bring it out and let God into their memories and their pain, something would happen. Now, there was a guy that put out something called a pain-joy continuum. If you could put that little graph up there. Now, I don't know if you can see this or not, but basically the point that he's saying is, is what happens is when you experience pain, you say, I don't want to feel that. I'm putting a wall up. I don't want to talk about that. But what he's saying is, is when you put a wall up in the area of your pain because you don't want to feel it, unconsciously you also put a wall up in the realm of your joy on the other end. And if you don't learn how to process... Listen, people who have dealt with pain and suffering and sorrow and have grieved it properly, they're the people with the most joy. That's the truth. We think people with the most joy are those who don't go through anything who don't suffer any loss. No, it's the people who have suffered great loss and found a God that heals their heart and brings them out on the other end and restores their joy. That's the people with the most joy in this life. Amen. Number four, with what options does our past pain leave us? Because you've got to deal with past pain one way or the other. At some point, you're going to face it. And, you know, the first thing you can do is you can hide or you can just stay in denial. In the, in the stages of grief, if you've heard of it, the first, the first step is shock and denial. When we experience pain, we just say, no, I'm shutting that out. I'm shocked. I deny it. I don't want no part of it. And here's the thing about when you deny pain. It's like pushing a beach ball up under the water, right? That sucker comes back up, don't it? When you deny your pain and your wounds and your trauma, you push that beach ball up under the water, I promise you it will resurface in some other area of your life. And there's a book called The Body Keeps Score. And he talks, this guy talks about exactly that, that eventually your trauma and your pain, if it's not dealt with, it will show up in your body somewhere else. Secondly is rationalization. You rationalize away your need to grieve because, and here's what a lot of people I talk to do, well, there's other people dealing with a lot worse things. It's terrible. Don't do that. Yeah, there's people dealing with a lot worse things, but you're dealing with pain right now. And if you don't allow God to heal you of that pain, you're, even the people that are dealing with a lot worse things, you're not going to be able to have any empathy for them because you're not going to be made whole and you're not going to be healed. Thirdly is, is anger and bitterness. 
And what happens in this is you, you have a level of anger or bitterness that is, that is not equal to the situation. I, I might have told you all the story before. Whenever, whenever Andre and I were dating, we, we took a trip somewhere and we'd pack lunch. And I don't, it was funny. Like we had ham sandwiches or something in the back. I can't remember how it happened, but somehow or another I got upset. And I remember just turning all of a sudden saying, just give me the ham sandwich. <laughs> Y'all ever done that? And like, and I sat there for a minute. I sat there for a minute. And then finally we looked at each other and we started laughing hysterically because my anger was not in proportion to the moment. It was like, we're talking about ham sandwiches, bro. We're, it, that anger had to be coming from somewhere else. What, what, what was I dealing with in that moment? What was the tension? Because if, you're, if you are mad at breakfast and when you wake up and you're just, you're just mad to begin the day, you need to deal with something. That bitterness, that anger, why is it so high in that moment? And see, if you, do, if you, do, if, if you you're just going to be, that's no way to deal with this. The other way is addictions. What we do is, like I said before, we just numb the pain and we turn to pornography, we turn to drugs, we turn to alcohol, we turn to ministry. A lot of people will dive deep into ministry to cover up their own pain. But what people do when you're ministering to them that way is they sense that you're actually trying to receive something from them rather than trying to give them something. If you minister out of your pain, you're trying to pull something, some, some affirmation out of you doing a good work to somebody. And here's the thing. You need to be made whole so that you can minister to someone rather than taking from them when you minister. Amen. So the last thing, though, the only viable solution is biblical grief and mourning. And I'm going to finish up soon. I know this has been a little bit long, but this is kind of like a little seminar, isn't it? I mean, we've got to go walk through this stuff. We've got to process this stuff. And here's, here's one last thing that Henry Nowen says. He says, yes, we must mourn our losses. We cannot talk or act them away, but we can shed tears over them and we can allow ourselves to grieve deeply. To grieve is to allow our losses to tear apart our feelings of security and safety and lead us to the painful truth of our brokenness. And the question is, why would I want to tear away my feelings of safety and security? And here's the thing, because you're, you being your own safety and security is an illusion. Only God can be your safety and security. And sometimes you just got to allow the Holy Spirit to come down and tear all that down so He can lead you to the only one who can keep you safe and secure and the only one that can ultimately heal you. He says, So in the midst of all this pain, there is a strange and a very surprising voice of the one who says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He says, That's unexpected news. There is a blessing hidden in our grief. Not those who comfort are blessed, not those who are comforted are blessed, but those who mourn. Somehow in the midst of our tears, a gift is given. Somehow in the midst of our mourning, the first steps of the dance take place. Somehow the cries that well up from our losses belong to our songs of gratitude. What's he saying? He's saying we've got it wrong on grief and mourning. We, look, we don't want anybody to enter into depression, but do, we do want people to grieve biblically and mourn properly because you've got to press through the loss. Psalm 126.5 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. 
See, there's a biblical principle there that if you're willing to mourn, you're going to reap joy on the other end because you are hitting the, the reset valve. You're letting the pressure off. When things build up, you're saying, I need some help. And if you sow in tears, you're going to reap in joy. Psalm 35 says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. When you're willing to process it, the joy is on the other end. And he says, number five, my last one, what are the, the benefits of biblical grieving? Number one, A, it helps us to live proactively instead of reactively. What that means is, is if I can grieve my wounds and my law, if I don't grieve, I'll enter into a situation, if somebody hurt me a certain way, as soon as somebody else even slightly begins to do that, man, I just react and freak out. But if I grieve properly, I can come back into a place where I can proactively respond to what people are dealing with. B, it increases our emotional capacity to handle life and people more fully. And the point being is, just like I said with anger, people will say, if one more, thing's ha one more thing happens, I'm going to blow. But see, if you will learn how to grieve, you won't be on 10 all the time. You can bring your level back down and chill out a little bit because you process and you unload these things and deal with them. See, it gives you freedom and permission to risk again and set big goals. Let me say this to you. Ungrieved losses are the number one reason we start to live a safe life and we stop living in faith and taking risks. When you do not grieve your losses, you start to just pull back, withdraw from everything, and you say, I'm no longer living in faith. I'm no longer taking risks because every time I've took a risk, it's just ended up in pain and I'm not believing for anything anymore. I'm just going to play it safe so that I don't experience any more pain. And let me tell you something. Many of you are in that place right now. You're no longer setting big life goals. You're no longer taking risks because you've been disappointed so much that you don't think good is ever going to come and you've just given up and God is saying I need you to grieve I need you to let go of your losses so that you can move forward you can set big goals you can take risks once again D it keeps your heart soft and gives you empathy for others losses it's only when you can deal with your own if you you can know when a person hardens their heart because they feel little to nothing when somebody else is going through brokenness somebody else is going through pain they just don't really feel it. They just want to ignore it, not talk about it. Say, I just, I can't stand that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk about that. But when you are in touch with your own pain, with your own loss, then you can begin to empathize with others who are going through pain. And lastly, it restores your capacity to trust God and people again. See, when you get hurt by people, and you will get hurt by people. Anybody amen me? It's going to happen. It'll happen in this church. And maturity determines whether or not you'll process it well, you'll work with the person, and you won't, you know, split a church over it. But it restores your capacity to trust God and people again. And we can grieve, and we can forgive, and we say, Lord, I trust you once again, and I trust people, and I'm going to open my heart. And see, when you start to grieve your past, you're going to have to forgive yourself. You're going to have to forgive people. There's going to be some confession that needs to be made. You're going to have to bring things on the inside out on to the surface because some of you, you're dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with panic attacks and depression. And the root of that is ungrieved losses. It just is. Let me give you this last thing. This is a little grieving exercise, but let me talk you through this real quick. See, the... This, Grieving, honestly, is best done as a regular spiritual discipline. It's not some, some people will say, well, you know, I, I grieved the loss of my loved one five years ago and I dealt with that. You may have dealt with one layer of that. 
See, God's not going to allow you to face more than you can deal with. And we learn to cope through ways and we have to numb at times and then numb at other times. But let me tell you something. When you've dealt with a deep loss, it's like an onion. You'll grieve one layer of it and then maybe a year down the road you're going to need to grieve another layer of it. And maybe a year down the road you'll need to grieve another layer of it until you get down to the depths of your soul and God brings a full healing and you find the peace and joy of God right there at the center of your heart where your faith is now rooted in God and in, 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 the, in the hope that He has for us all. Secondly, begin a bullet list of your losses. Do like Andrea did. I'm telling you, if you want to grow from this, if you really want to take away from this sermon and do something, get you a journal and write down your losses. Write down your pain. Go back to your childhood even of things. And here's the way that I do it. I, I tell people, I say, ask the Holy Spirit. Get in a place of prayer and say, Holy Spirit, show me what is hindering me, what is blocking me from the worship and joy that is in you. Because some people have a hard time worshiping God even. And the reason they have a hard time worshiping God is because they don't trust Him because they can't, they can't process their pain with Him. And you come to that place where you begin a bullet list of your losses and you put them down. You start to process through them. And then you either start chronologically or wherever the most pain arises. I ask people, I've, I've asked people, I've said, what's the most painful thing you've ever experienced? That's a hard question to answer right out of the gate, isn't it? But you've got to bring those things up. And here's another thing. Don't stop when it starts to get uncomfortable or painful. That is a sign there is infection under the scab. If you've got a wound that has infection, you push on that thing, it's going to hurt, isn't it? And there are things that if we were to push on it right now, it would hurt. You wouldn't want to say the, the, the person's name that hurt you or abused you. There are certain things that go on. But when you push on that, don't hide from that. The reason you feel it so bad is because you need healing from it. There's infection there that needs to be dealt with. And then finally, find a safe person to help you process. Find somebody that will listen to you. And for most of you, let me tell you something. I got people in this church, and I'm so thankful for them, but they help me pastor. I don't know if you know it, but when you've got 50 people that are dealing with pain and sorrow, you hope and pray to God that there's somebody in the church that's calling them, loving on them, listening to them. Amen. And for those of you that help me pastor, I appreciate it. That help me love people, I, I appreciate it. But you need people that can listen to you. And you don't fix people. You, you're slow to give advice and judge behavior because everyone grieves differently. But then lastly, you weep with those who weep. That's what the scripture says in Romans 12, 15. And we bear one another's burdens. See, grieving will make space for the Holy Spirit to come and do something in your life. And I know, let me tell you something, I had to grieve. When I came to Jesus, I had to grieve my past, all the things that I had done, all my sins. It begins with grieving. Paul talked about a a godly sorrow. There's a godly sorrow, a godly conviction where you begin to grieve over your past and over your sin and you come up under God's glory and you say, God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my past. I need forgiveness. And guess what comes? Comfort comes. Healing comes. Salvation comes. So that's where it's at right now. I want you to bow your heads. We're going to pray together. But right now in this moment, if you need to start in the area of salvation where you need to grieve your past and you need to say, I need to receive the salvation that only Jesus can bring me. I need forgiveness in my heart. Will you just right now as a step of faith just lift your hand and say, that's me. I want to make that step. I see one here. Another one. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God. 
for the rest of us, I'm telling you, if we'll ask the Holy Spirit right now, all of us are going to pray together. For those who need salvation, you're going to pray. And let me tell you something. The Scripture says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And the Holy Spirit, if He's drawing you now, He's going to do a work in your heart. But for the rest of you, I just pray that this message, all I'm wanting is for this message to be a beginning point for you to begin to heal because if you will grieve properly your losses if you'll make that a part of your spiritual discipline in your prayer life you will move into this next year and you will have hope for the future you can grieve forward into a place of new joy into a place of new love so Lord we pray that right now and Holy Spirit I'm just asking you to give each person the grace to grieve the losses that they have experienced and Lord God not to stay in a place of depression or in a place of sadness but Lord God, so that we can invite you into our pain and invite you into our wounds so that we can be healed and we can experience your joy and we can move into a place where we anchor our hope in the eternal life that you bring. God, that's what we're asking for. I'm asking you for whole people, God. This year, I'm asking you for healed people and whole people. People that know you, God. People that have grieved and mourned with you, God, and they've experienced your comfort. And so right now, afresh, Lord, we just come. And for those of you that want, want to give your life to Jesus, Lord, we confess our sins. Just speak that out to Him. Say, Lord, I confess my sins to you. And I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me from all of my sins and from all of my unrighteousness. Lord, we believe that you died on the cross for our sins and you came and you entered into our pain on that cross. And so right now, as we receive the gift of your salvation, Lord, we also receive healing right now into every wound. And Holy Spirit, we trust that in this moment, you're going to help people process and begin that healing work in their hearts and in their lives right now in Jesus' name. Now, right now, we're just going to enter into a moment of worship. You can stand. You can remain seated if you want. But I want you to not just go through the motion right here. I want you to take a moment to respond in whatever way you see fit in order to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart. But let's worship the Lord together. Let's pray.